Good morning, Cornerstone. Would you stand with us as we worship? We're going to learn a new song today. It's a really great song about the presence of Christ.
that we can come here and gather together to sit under your teaching, under your word, and I just pray that you would open all of our hearts and minds to your truth and to your goodness today, and you'd bless um, Pastor Ed as he teaches with us today. So in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. You may be seated. How are you folks doing on Happy Mother's Day? I love this day. I have a great mom. She uh, is an amazing, sacrificial woman and uh, ran me all over town for my baseball practices and my music lessons and uh, all the way, all the way through my growing up years and uh, even when I had my own family. She was just always there and is still there and uh, I love that woman. She's been a blessing in my life. So, happy Mother's Day. We have flowers and I think they are out in the lobby. And if you are a mom, um, a soon-to-be mom, a wanna-be mom, if you're a dad that changes diapers and Mr. Mom, if you're a dad that forgot Mother's Day, you might need to take a flower, maybe two, depending on how deep you are in. But moms, this is your day, and we're uh, grateful for you. So happy Mother's Day. 
Got a few announcements, and I think we're going to start out with um, Heike. Come on up and talk to us about love in action. There you are. Good morning, everybody, and happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful moms out there. My name is Heike Paul, and I'm representing the Women's Ministry, um, introducing and promoting a new program we're starting called Love in Action. Love in Action is based on Galatians 5.13, calling us to serve and love one another. So the purpose of this program is simply to love this church family um, and serve them by providing for the different needs that come to our attention. It could be providing meals, transportation, running errands, just, you know, the list goes on and on. But in order for our program to succeed, we do need your help and support. So you can first support us by praying for us. Any prayers will be really appreciated. But also by serving in the different areas of this ministry. And you have a flyer on your chairs throughout the church that explains a little bit more in detail about the program. If you're ready to serve, all you need to do is fill out this form, tear it off, and you can put it in the offering box or you can give it to me. Or if you need some time to think and pray about it, uh, you can contact Dell, our women's ministry leader, and her contact information is on the bottom of this sheet. So thank you everyone for your consideration and for your time and for your prayers. Thank you, Heike. Excellent. Well, last couple of weeks, um, we've announced that uh, Mario and Deborah are um, uh, moving back to San Antonio area to be near family. And uh, May 23rd will be their last day with us. And a couple of things about that. His kids, our kids, Cornerstone kids, are all going to come in in both services. And they're going to recite the names of the books of the Bible. And I think they're going to do that in order. That's kind of how you learn them, right? I, I still don't remember how many books are in the Old Testament and the New, but they're going to give us a demonstration of how all of that's done. So that's May 23rd. You won't want to miss that. And then there's a great event called a Bye Bye Barbecue. And Michelle uh, Koch is organizing this, so she gave me copious notes. So pay attention. Here we go. It's on Sunday, May 23rd, on the church grounds here at Cornerstone from 4 to 6.30. Uh, RSVP, please, by next Sunday so we can get the food part right. Uh, we do need volunteers. Uh, we want to bless the Ornellises with a great send-off. We need your help to make this happen. We need side dishes. We need setup crews. We need servers. We need teardown crews. Lock of, lots of worker bees needed. There are sign-up sheets in the lobby, so make sure if you're able to contribute to that that you um, put your name down there. And next Sunday, right after church, 12:15 in the classroom upstairs, there's going to be a volunteer meeting. It'll be brief and it'll go through all the details so that we can have a great organized and fun event for the analysis on the 23rd. That's going to be a great time. And then lastly, July 17th, I am they. We have um, had to reschedule this thing I think about four times and we finally felt confident we could stay with it. You know, COVID's hopefully leaving the area for good. So July 17th, there is a link on our church website, cornerstonecommunity.net, where you can look at, uh, sign up for tickets, and uh, that's going to be a great event, so you won't want to miss that. So Tony and Teresa are away and uh, getting some R&R and uh, visiting a couple of uh, friends and uh, some, some great areas on their trip. And so he invited one of his good friends, Ed Bones, to come and share with us. And Ed is a pastor. He's on the, the pastor team at uh, Crossroads Church down in Santa Clarita, and he is up here. And Ed, come on up and um, share with us a little bit about your family and your ministry, and God bless you. Thank you. Thanks. How you doing, guys? Yeah, it's good to see you. Hey, uh, take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans 10 today. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll uh, take a moment here to introduce myself. Uh, really... Uh, uh, Good friends with Pastor Tony, so excited that he had me here, so thankful he could get away with Teresa. Uh, that, is, that is a good time for a pastor to feel refreshed, and uh, you'll see my wife here uh, to my left. We've got four kids, uh, two boys and two girls. God has blessed us with an amazing family, um, blessed me with a, a, a 
wonderful mother to my kids, you know, to be honest. Uh, I didn't think I was going to cry this early in the sermon, but maybe I will. Uh, we'll see what the Lord has for me. Uh, but absolute awesome uh, mother to my kids, uh, great wife, uh, awesome family, love them so much. Uh, hopefully you can come say hi, meet us, maybe the kids as well, uh, if they're behaving. Uh, we've got a 15-year-old all the way down to a 3-year-old. So do the math. That's 12 years of, of uh, uh, daddying so far. Uh, or I guess 12 years in between, 15 years so far. My math is a little bit fuzzy. I've been doing so much daddying. Um, but uh, they're, they're, they're great kids. Love my family so much. Love my mom. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, if you're watching, love you so much. My, my mom is down in, in Phoenix. And I uh, just love her so much. I, I, I echo everything that's been said already about moms. You know, tote me around. Uh, being, being a great mom to me and my, my brother and sister as well all those years. Um, and uh, sticking out with my dad all those years too. <laughs> Not to be underestimated for sure. Uh, do you remember, uh, do you remember, it, it, maybe you got in trouble like me as a kid. And your mom would kind of grab you by the collar. Okay, and this might get a little bit risky because my mom... Uh, and my dad, they, they, they used the spanking technique if I ever got out of the line. Raise your hand if maybe that was you growing up. It's okay. We'll have a support group after service. Okay, it's okay. Tell me if this sounds familiar, okay? Mom grabs you. Little Eddie, get over here, you know. That's it. You're going to get it now. You're going to get it. And she kind of, she, she gets you right there, and she's like this, huh? And she's looking around. Who's she looking for? She's looking for my brother and my sister, Right? She's kind of looking. I, I call this the firstborn effect, right? She's saying this. She's saying, in essence, she's saying, let me get your eyes. Where are you? There you are. Watch what's about to take place. Learn a lesson from your bigger brother to never do this again. This is a picture of how I believe Romans 10 plays out. Love my mom so much, so grateful for the discipline that she brought to my, to, to my life. My dad as well. But there's something about that firstborn effect where the mom or the parent takes one kid and the lesson has to be learned. The discipline has to come. But it's to the benefit of the siblings watching. This is a picture of Romans 10 because what Paul is discussing um, is the Israelites and their failure. And what he's saying is, are you watching? What is your response going to be? Romans 10, Paul starts in verse 1. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer for God, and my prayer to God for them, for the Israelites, is that they would be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Tony's been in the series, uh, in the book of Romans, he tells me for a long time, uh, uh, studying uh, really the, the, what it is to have a faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, I I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not. Because it's the power of salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Uh, th there's this picture as we go through Romans 9, 10, 11, um, where, where, where Paul is discussing the nation's disbelief, the failure to, to miss the Messiah. Uh, there, there's all this talk in chapter 9 about the sovereignty of God. In chapter 11, all this talk about the sovereignty of God, God's elective decree. And, and Romans 10, sandwiched right in the middle like an Oreo, is, is the creamy center of man's responsibility. And so Paul is going to discuss man's responsibility uh, uh, in this thing called salvation. Uh, God's sovereignty could appear to be unjust, but it's not. God always operates rightly, justly. It's his decision to soften or harden a heart. It's God's decision to, to move in a believer's life. But there's also this piece sandwiched in the middle, Romans 10, man's responsibility. And what Paul is going to talk about is being Jewish alone will not save you. Today is the day of salvation if you do not know Jesus Christ. So Romans 10, we find 
In this message, I'm going to call today the reasons for a wrong righteousness. Have you ever done the right thing, but it was wrong? Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Would you tell the truth? Don't answer that. I love my wife. Honey, I love you. You, you, you look so wonderful today. Uh, 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 COVID haircuts, men. Any COVID haircuts? You're doing the thing. You finish up. You saved a couple bucks. You could be onto something. You go to your wife. Hey, honey, how does this look? You turn around and she's like, oh, you know, it looks good. You told the truth. No, you didn't. It looks terrible. Uh, uh, my kids recently, Dad, we got to get shots. Do shots hurt? Mm. No. I, say, I said yes. Guess who didn't want to go get shots? My son. Uh, 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 you can do the right thing, but it'd be very wrong. Uh, the Israelites, they're in a predicament. They're following what they thought to be truth. The Old Testament law. But they were very wrong. And they had this wrong righteousness. It's the title of the sermon. It's going to be four points if you're taking notes. Uh, I firmly believe that if Jesus were sitting here right now, listening to me of all things, this situation wouldn't really happen. But he would probably take notes. Uh, so maybe be like Jesus and take notes. Uh, here, here's the first point out of, out of verse 1 that I want to draw to um, kind of help us understand. How did the Israelites get to this point? First point is this. They had safety without salvation. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer is that they would be saved. That they'd be saved. Now Paul knew that these people, his people, they had safety. They had a cocoon of safety that they had built, but they weren't saved. They didn't have salvation. Paul knows they had this cocoon Paul knows better than anybody that these people were looking for the Messiah. No group in human history was more consumed with seeking religious truth than the Jews. From ancient times, centuries before Christ, Jewish children were, were, were meticulously trained in Old Testament law, carefully instruct, instructed in Jewish traditions, taught by rabbis along with their commentaries on Scripture, which were considered to be essential to understanding truth. Families would sacrifice immensely to grab their boys and move to Jerusalem to be, be near noted rabbis, who in time, like a slow-boiling frog, the Israelites kind of started to, you know, their, their, their rabbis were, were, were nearly venerated to sainthood. Tombs of rabbis who had passed, those, those tombs began to be special sacred spaces. They, 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 they honored these tombs. They, they embellished fictitious legends about these rabbis. Uh, religious instructions were not questioned, regardless of how much they could maybe contradict God's own word. Teachers were thought to possess esoteric powers and discernment that most Jews did not possess. Therefore, their word became law, but not truth. The outcome in Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9, we read, uh, Jesus says, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're right, but they are wrong. He says, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are nothing more than rules taught by men. And so you see what Paul's building. He, he, he's building something here. There's God's sovereignty in the process of salvation, and then there's man's responsibility. So let's talk about man's responsibility for a moment. These leaders, these Jewish leaders, they, they, they modified, they explained away God's revelation, and the resulting religious traditions frequently nullified truth. Jews believed that they already knew God, and so they were favored by him. I'm a Jew, I'm saved. That's the way that it works. So any suffering and persecution over the decades, over the centuries, the walking of pain, turmoil, sorrow, hatred, being maligned, this is rarely seen as God getting their attention, which is its very purpose. The Jews are lost. They're willingly ignorant of God's righteousness. They're ignorant of their own unrighteousness. 
Any deficiency in their merit was met with good works measured by their own standards. I can fix this. They're not looking for a Messiah to save them. They're looking for a political leader to lead them, to rescue them from their oppressors, namely Rome. It's like if you're watching your your, your news channel of choice and, and he or she gets on and they're talking, they're commentating about politics. I don't know if this is you, this is me. I'm watching and I'm like, yes, yes, she gets it. He gets it. Everything he's saying, everything she's saying, lead us. Why can't they lead us? He gets it. She gets it. This is what the Israelites are waiting for. He gets it. He'll get it. The Messiah will save us. He'll right all the wrongs. They're not looking to be saved spiritually. They're looking to be saved politically. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, Let him who boasts only boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And Israel boasted in the opposite, in their own righteousness. Paul uses this phrase, heart's desire. He doesn't have a cold indifference to sovereign election in chapter 9 that you just wrote. He understands it. He understands the inseparability of the single coin, two sides, man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. He's not trying to divide it. He's looking at the whole thing. He sees God's sovereignty, and then he flips it, and he sees man's responsibility, and that pulls out a desire. It pulls out a prayer. Paul probably looking, even back in his own life, unlikely prayers for salvation are filled in Scripture. We see Jesus praying as he's crucified, Lord, forgive them. What an unlikely prayer for salvation. You see Stephen as he's martyred, stoned to death, Paul being there, watched it. Stephen utters the words, Lord, forgive them. What unlikely prayer. Paul has seen those things. He's heard these things. So he prays, he prays an unlikely prayer for forgiveness for these people. He says, Lord, in chapter 9, I'd, I'd trade my own salvation for them. See, see, Paul does not separate what God has always connected, the two sides of that coin. Man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. He keeps them together, and he knows his purpose isn't to try to figure it out. It's to share the gospel. It's to try to love these people. But the Israelites were living in a dreamland. They had safety, but no salvation. Have you ever had a dream so good you didn't didn't want to wake up from it? It's just, it's so good. Where we live in Santa Clarita, there's this terrible, terrible place called Magic Mountain. Have you heard of this place? They charge you money so that they can make you sick. And you can, you can for like $90 a year, you can get two meals a day for, for free on, on that little pass. And you get all these hot dogs and pretzels, and then you ride rides, and then up it comes. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I can't stand Magic Mountain. My kids, on the other hand, have been there once, and they... they, they, they you can see Magic Mountain from our, from our front yard because we're here and, and Magic Mountain's here. Uh, it's the biggest eyesore. My kids love it. They just dream about going there. My son actually last week had a dream that he was riding a roller coaster in, in Magic Mountain and he was woo, woo, woo. And he said, it was so good, I didn't want to wake up. Dad of the year, we'll never go. <laughs> just deal with it. We'll never go. I hate Magic Mountain. The Israelites were in that situation, living in a dream, so good, they didn't want to wake up. Safety, but no salvation. Number two, they had zeal without knowledge. Verse two, he continues, I bear them witnesses, and I've seen with my own eyes, I get it. I I, I can attest to to their zeal. I bear them witness that they have zeal, uh, 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 that word zeal, uh, just bringing about a meaning of like intense, you know, intense people. Maybe when I say the word intense, you're like, he's intense. Intense, intense people. Intense people for God, but not according to knowledge. We'll see in a moment, according to their own laws, Paul says that word, that word witness uh, with a purpose to drawing uh, uh, from his own experience. Paul says in Philippians 3, 5 through 9, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a leader, a teacher. I was the man. Paul, like his people, ever since Babylonian captivity, were freed from idolatry. We'll, you know, we'll never do that again. Idolatry is painful. God punishes us. So they take the law, they take monotheism, and they're like, we'll never forget this lesson God has taught us. But they take it and then they add on to it traditions that in time become more important 
than the actual law. They were heat without light. They were trying to run on roller skates. They were spitting the tires but on ice. They were movement without moving. They were action and no progress. A lot of busy action, no real movement forward to salvation. Paul says that phrase, according to knowledge, pointing to the superficial awareness of outward demands that create pride versus the humbling, Lord, I give up. The knowledge that you've given me, Lord, in turn causes me to give up and surrender my life to you. I'm fond of fourth century asceticism and there's a desert father saying from the fourth century it goes like this just as one cannot build a ship without nails so it's impossible to be saved without humility the ability to say i tried my hardest and i messed it up so i surrender to you lord Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, 17, 18. He says, Lord, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Give them knowledge in you. Help their hearts to be enlightened. It's not until a person actually acknowledges his own unrighteousness in light of a divine and perfect righteousness of God's that he can find his need for a Savior and be saved. But with the Jews, they're just toiling Spinning, Paul says, it's, it's so hard to watch. I remember watching as a football coach in 2019. Uh, one of my sons wanted to play flag football uh, w- w- with, with the county. And so we were the L.A. Rams because we're in L.A. County. And, and we were terrible. Terrible. Capital T, capital E, the whole thing. Terrible. And, and it was so painful because my son, my other son was the ball boy. All his buddies, we, 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 we put together what we thought was going to be the best team ever. We're going to you know, win the world and flag football and Castaic, and it's going to be so great. And, and of course, these are the thoughts that my, my one son has. We're going to be so good. And we were terrible. And, and there, there, there comes this time where me as a coach, I'm, we're running the plays in, and I'm on the field, and I'm getting kind of mad. Because a couple of games, we got, I mean, we got taken for a ride. And eventually, I'm just like, ah, uh, maybe I just put on a jersey and go out there. A bunch of little, you know, 10-year-olds, and then him. And I'm squeezed into a, you know, youth seven, you know, jersey, and it ain't going very far past my neck. But it's still like he's gonna, he's gonna. I mean, I'm sure this is a picture of Paul. Paul's like, I just, if I could just get in there and just win the game for him. It's so painful to watch somebody try so hard and fail. That's hard. Paul says, I'm watching. I mean, they're zealous. They're spinning the wheels, running on roller skates, action, but no progress. It's painful to him. There's safety without salvation. There's zeal without knowledge. Number three, third idea from verses three through five, there's righteousness without submission. Here's the key. You must bend the knee to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord where he calls the shots. It's a non-negotiable with Jesus. Either he is in charge, he is the Lord of your life, or you are on your own plan. Paul continues, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. It's It's like, okay, okay, you want it? You want that plan? Here it is. You're going to choke on it. This is your plan. Holiness is the standard and righteousness is the fulfillment of it. Paul's asking, whose plan are you on? Israel's failure was a failure of faith because their righteousness was on their plan, not through faith, the way that God intended the plan now to be. Israel had, had, had reduced God's holiness and they had increased their righteousness. Really, in essence, what they're saying is, I'm not that bad and God won't be that mad. That's, that's what they're saying. It's the opposite of John the, ba- the, the, the Baptist saying, uh, I must decrease, he must increase. It's God won't be that mad. He's not that righteous. He's not that holy. And I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm really not a bad guy. And the reality of Scripture is that there will be a lot of good people in hell. 
a lot of really nice people, aside from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, just merely being a good person that will not save you. And I hate those words. Because there's a part of me, there's this natural man inside of me that is opposed to a God like Psalm 11 says, hates in, uh, uh, in iniquity and those who do it. I don't like that. There's a part of me that's opposed to um, a sinner being condemned under God's holy wrath. There's a part of me that, pursues, that, 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 that prefers a, a lesser Maybe a neutered, sin-accepting, kind of V-neck boyfriend Jesus. He's, he's fun and colorful, and he's just like so, he gets it. He's so sweet. You know, like what I want in those moments is I just want like, like the, the biggest, happiest, friendliest, like dad, you know. Just hug me. I have problems. Fix them, God. And somehow, God is love, but he's also justice, perfectly wrapped up in all these attributes. It, it, it's hard for us to understand, but it's who God is. And the problem is if we venture too far down the road of a lesser God, again, God won't be that mad. I'm not that bad. We do the opposite of what Isaiah said. What was me? I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. We do the opposite of what Peter cried. Lord, depart from me. Lord, that's you. Ah! Don't look at me. I'm terrified in front of the God like that. There, there's a proud arrogance that led the Jews to disregard God's righteousness and seek their own. Paul uses that word righteousness, showing us that, that Christ is the only end and fulfillment of the law. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I did, I'm coming to do something much greater than just end something. Paul says here, he, he shall live by that if that's what he's going to do. Galatians 3, Deuteronomy 27, James 2, 10. Man, who, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles at one point, he becomes guilty of all of it. Eventually, they just didn't submit. They didn't bend the knee. Hundreds of years, Jews lowered and replaced God's divine standard with rabbinical traditions. That's just what they did. Matthew 23, there's the seven woes, and this is the outcome. Jesus says, woe to you, you hypocrites. The Greek word is Hypocrites. It's an actor. Changing the mask onto something else. You guys are hypocrites. You're, 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 you're nice, wonderful tombs with dead man's bones inside. This is the outcome of somebody of this nation that has righteousness, but they've never bent the knee. No submission. Then lastly, through verses 6, 7, and 8, there's an aspect of speaking without listening. Speaking without listening, the, 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 the Jews had this element of having safety but no salvation. They had zeal but no knowledge. They had righteousness without submission and they had, they were speaking without listening. He says in verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or, or who will who, who, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? But, but what does it say? The word is near to you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Paul's speaking about this word or the law because the entire Jewish scriptures, they, they're a testimony to Israel being called by God to himself. Paul says, there, there's no need for some mystical journey through the universe to get to God. There's no team you could assemble like the Tower of Babel to just climb as close as you can up to God and just be so great and so close to God. There's no ladder big enough. The truth of how to get to God, it's the thing that you're saying, Jewish folks. It's, 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 it's the Old Testament law that you're reciting that points to every feast, every temple service, every priest, every festival, all of them, all of these are pointing to the covenant of Jesus being the Messiah. 
but they stop short. They use the sign as the object when the sign is just pointing to the purpose. None of us go to travel somewhere. Hey, I wanna, I'm going to head back home. We're going to go to L.A. I go up to the L.A. sign right over here when we get to the 80, and then I'm looking at the, at, at, at the sign. It says, L.A., 300 whatever miles this way. And I'm like, look, we made it. We're home. How foolish. The sign points to the, to the way. You don't get to the sign and say, hey, we made it. We're here. And this was the problem with these folks. Galatians 3, 24, the law was a guardian or a schoolmaster or tutor. It taught us until Christ came resulting in justification and faith. Now that Christ came, we're no longer under this guardian. The Jews are guilty of squandering. It's a tragedy of squandering the privilege of directly receiving the word of God and the son of God. Sanford C. Mills, a Jewish Christian himself and commentator, says Israel wants to be the captain of her own soul and the master of her own ship, but has lost both her rudder and her compass. Just meandering. Safety, no salvation. Zeal, no knowledge. Righteousness, no submission. Speaking, no listening to the very things that their own mouths are saying, pointing to Jesus. Rather, the word is in your mouth, Paul says. It's already been revealed by their own customs. They've been engulfed with the truth, and it's a tragedy. I think of our own country. Romans 1.18, Paul pens this while in Corinth looking at the disgusting nature of this truck stop city. He says, man, they're, they're without excuse. Would God call America, this Christian nation of ours, under God we sort of kind of trust? What do you say? They have no, they have no excuse. They know. We've squandered some opportunities as a nation, but there's still time. I love Mother's Day. I love what's probably going to happen later today. You know, the making of the, the crafts, you know. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. This, thanks for this glitter bomb, uh, wet glue still seeping off the pages, right? Okay, we all know, yeah. You get it, you're like, oh, this is so wonderful. Thank you. And you're genuinely happy to get it, right? There's no mom who's like, are you kidding me? No mom would ever do that. Oh, well, thank you, honey. It's so sweet. It's so nice. Thank you so much. You take it. You go home. You know, a better part of a year, it sits on the fridge and glitter everywhere. I hate glitter. Glitter is the worst thing ever. But there's glitter everywhere, and you love it. You're like, my honey, sweetie, baby, seven years old, did this for me. Happy Mother's Day. I love being a mom. It goes somewhere special. Now, what would happen, moms? Some years go by. You know, you got, you, got a, you got a young adult, young man, you know, 25, he just graduated college, and he goes to church one Sunday, and he comes to you and he says, hey mom, I made you something, and he hands you a glitter bomb, wet glue disaster that says Happy Mother's Day. You'd probably say to yourself, why do we pay all that money for college again? I would have thought he'd grown up by now. You might grab the phone and call the doctor and be like, we got a situation here. You might go get a refund from Stanford. It, it didn't take. <laughs> My kid's still a baby, right? Like, there's a, well, I'll say this, it's concerning, right? At the very least, it's concerning. It'd be a funny joke, but it's concerning if it's for real. Um, I feel this is, this is an illustration for Christians. If, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, man, today's the day for salvation. Maybe this message speaks to you in a way so that you kind of realize, well, uh, uh, the answer is here. I've been coming to church all these years and I've never really realized that Christianity is truth, that Jesus is the way. But maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe decades. And instead of growing up in Jesus, you've really just grown old in Jesus. This could certainly describe my life at times, you kind of feel like you're not making a lot of progress. And you look at your life and you're like, I'm this old and I'm still making, you know, these Mother's Day glitter bomb wet glue projects. I wonder if there's a message for us in this passage as we look at a couple of these ideas. Because if you don't study history, I'm fond of this saying, you're bound to repeat it. This is an opportunity for us as mom's holding 
to the Jew first. Romans 1.16 says, Israel. And God's saying, are you watching what's happening? It's tragic. It's a failure. What's your response going to be? Are you growing up or just growing old? There's that first idea, having safety without salvation. I'd say this could be somebody who's very comfortable in status. This is somebody who's very comfortable as an individualist. I do my thing, my way. We'll talk more about this next week. I, I, have, I have no qualms, no issues in any way, shape, or form with doing things my way. I've got comfort in some sort of a, a retirement, life situation, home, family, all the above. You have safety. You've got a cocoon of safety. But that has become your salvation. Second idea, maybe you have zeal without knowledge. This is, these are the givers, these are the servers, not takers. These are the worker bees, the flag wavers, the pew fillers. I'm here, I'll be there, we'll do it. You got kids ministry tattooed on your arm. Rah, rah, I love kids. Woo! You got zeal. And somewhere along the line, that has become your savior. Been there. Maybe you have righteousness without submission. You haven't bent the knee. You haven't made Jesus your Lord. Maybe there's some kind of works that you've been toiling in, some kind of righteousness. It's not God's righteousness. It's not righteousness imputed from Jesus unto you, therefore saved. You haven't bent the knee. Maybe it's speaking without listening. This is, this is a situation I can get myself into where I look at people and I could say here all day long, God, the gospel, here's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing, which equals everything. But sometimes, sometimes we turn it into Jesus plus something. That in turn equals nothing. If you think that you're saved by Jesus plus your quiet time, never miss it. Every day this year. You're not saved by that. You've taken the truth that you know about the gospel to be just about Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. It is by grace and nothing else that I've been saved so that I won't boast. And somehow in the way that we take, I don't know, I got a wonderful prayer life and that, I'm not downplaying prayer. I'm not downplaying quiet time. Without those things, we suffer miserably. But you take it and make that your savior? That's not salvation. That's you speaking. That's me, right? That's me speaking maybe to my kids about a situation or something in our family. Yeah, the, God, the gospel is Jesus and this person is, yeah, but daddy, but they do this. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. what I know, the truth that I know, the truth that I'm speaking, I need to listen in those moments and say, honey, if they've surrendered their life to Jesus, and if it's absolutely true, then I have to trust that in time, God will slowly pull that out of that person, that they will show fruit. But I know as proof by the thief on the cross that that will not, because Jesus says, I promise you, you will spend today. That man did nothing for Jesus after he died. He did nothing for Jesus in those moments before he died. He was saved by grace and grace alone. Again, a fruit, a fruit tree will bear fruit. It will show, it will prove that it's been saved. But to say that that fruit will save you is absolutely no gospel at all. As we close, I want to say it's something like this. Just the gospel in general is a picture of, of you uh, being out in the ocean. And the ocean terrifies me terrifies me. Let's say we're in Lake Tahoe. I heard that this stretch right out here, just a mile out, is the deepest part of Lake Tahoe. That's like, that, that, that's where the Meg lives. I'm so terrified of that space, right? But let's just say you're out there, you're, you're doing your thing, you're paddling, doing whatever, and uh, uh, let's say you're in a boat, you've got a life raft, and the boat goes down. Oh, Lord forbid, the boat goes down. Um, truly, like, I'm paralyzed in shock, and I'm drowning in that moment, but so I'm going to try to work through this. The boat's down, you're in a life raft, it's one of the inflatable <laughs> kind of ones, and you're in it, and, 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 uh, but it's scary, it's in the middle of the night, it's just you, and you hear, 
Whew, okay, <laughs> I felt dizzy for a second. It's terrifying to me. Uh, but it's... And you see, because you're going down out of the corner of your eye, woo, and the rescue boat's coming. Here's the Coast Guard or the whoever, it doesn't matter. They're coming, they're coming to save you. This is a picture of how foolish it would be to cling to the sinking life raft of your works, of your laws, of your rabbinical traditions. Because here's you. It's my precious baby life raft. I need it. And here's the Coast Guard. Hey, take my hand, doofus. Be saved. It isn't until you're able to let go, because the life raft is too big. Now it's waterlogged. Too heavy, all this other stuff on it. All kinds of paddles and all kinds of other stuff. Let, you need to let go. If you don't let go, you're going to die. The gospel is, is this. It's you letting go of this sinking thought that you could be saved by your own works. By your righteousness? No. By, by, by all this talk? No. By your zealous serving? No. By your safety? Your safety is fleeting. It isn't until you let go with both hands... Grab onto the boat, hop on with both feet, that you are now completely safe. It is impossible to be saved while holding on to the life raft. At some point, he's going to say, if that's what you want, are you sure this is, this is what I want? And I'll go that, and I'll let you go. Because God will not force himself on anyone. I'm here, I'm, I'm waving my, just wait, I'm almost there. Here I am, grab my hand, both hands, both feet. It's not until you let go of that, which is sinking, that you can finally be saved. What's funny about that picture that I started with, with my mom lovingly correcting me, is that there's this phenomenon, not only just the firstborn effect of the firstborn uh, uh, going through all the issues to teach the other kids the lessons, but there's something about the baby in the family, right? Because somehow, if your family's big enough, the baby makes some of the same mistakes. What is that? What I think it is, is it's, it's, it's the danger of familiarity. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's getting in trouble again. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it, I get it, I get it. What a picture of us, American Christians, churchgoers, pew fillers. There could be a great danger in familiarity. Yeah, I've heard that story. I know Romans. I know Paul. I know the gospel. Yet you find yourself in some of the same struggles and mistakes. Are you on God's plan? Have you trusted the gospel for your life? Jesus, we love you. We need you. Man, without your gospel, we couldn't be saved. without clear passages like Romans 10 that help us to understand the, the, the inseparable, delicate balance of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, we would, we would get it wrong. So thank you, Lord, for, for a picture of what it looks like to trust in your sovereign plan, but also have a heart for the lost. Thank you, Lord, for, for showing us the, the, the delicate balance of, uh, Lord, we are not opposed to bearing fruit. It's, it's what should naturally occur in the life of a Christ follower. But that fruit by no means saves us. God, open our eyes to the, to the very small ways that we can begin to think that we're saved by anything other than just the gospel. God, begin to cultivate in us a heart for the lost. As we'll look at next week, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to start to uh, bring to mind those in our life, maybe it's just one person, that you have strategically placed there so that we can love them and live our lives in front of them. Uh, it, it, it's, it's crazy. We, we can think that our measly lives still struggling through sins, still living in perfect existences. We can think that the lost aren't attracted to that, but they surely are. 
because what we have in you, Lord, is perspective. What we hold as Christ followers is answers to the greatest questions of human history because we know the truth. And that's the truth of Jesus Christ, that Jesus can save sinners. Help us to let go of what's sinking and cling to what will save. And that's only you, Jesus. We love you and pray this in Christ's name.